Welcome to Recloseted Radio, the top-rated podcast for slow fashion founders. Whether you're thinking about launching a slow fashion brand, scaling an existing sustainable apparel company, or looking to make a brand more environmentally friendly, we have you covered. I'm your host, Selena Ho, and each week I'm sharing my proven strategies or interviewing industry experts. Without any further ado, let's get started. In this episode of Recloseted Radio, I interview Esther Knight from Fanfare Label. Fanfare Label was launched by Esther in October of 2018. She has worked in the fashion industry for over 12 years, working as a buyer for many high street and designer brands, including Vivian Westwood. Fanfare Label is an award-winning circular clothing brand that changes the way people buy, wear, and consume clothing. The exorbitant amount of waste generated in the fashion industry inspired Fanfare Label to represent the circular economy standard. The label is representative of what fashion could and should look like. And before we dive into this episode, I did want to share two free resources with you. The first one is our free blueprint ebook that will help you launch a successful sustainable fashion brand. In this ebook, we will detail all the steps you need to go from idea all the way to launch, and you can snag your copy at www.recloseted.com/start or click the link in the show notes. Additionally, we have created a free private Facebook group community for slow fashion founders that are hoping to launch a sustainable fashion brand. You can visit www.recloseted.com group to join or click the link in the show notes. In this group, we share exclusive content and I am also hosting a three-day live training bootcamp next month and we're going to talk all about marketing strategies, production strategies, and also launch strategies. So you do not want to miss out. This is going to be really exciting. So join the group if you haven't already, because we've already shared a lot of different resources and it's such an engaged community. So get the support and the accountability you need to launch your brand at recloseted.com group, or click the link in the show notes. And now let's get into our interview with Esther. Welcome to Recloseted Radio, Esther. I'm so excited to have you on. And to kick things off, can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And it's brilliant to be chatting with you today. So so yeah, I'm Esther. I'm the founder of Fanfare Label. And Fanfare Label is a sustainable women's wear clothing brand, particularly operating within the circularity space um, and ensuring we're changing the way people buy, wear and discard clothing. Amazing. And can you talk a little bit about your experience in the fashion industry? Because I know that you've worked with a lot of high street brands and also designers like Vivian Westwood. So I would love for you to give a quick overview of your career in fashion. Yeah, of course. So yeah, I've worked in um, I've worked in the fashion industry for well over ten years now. I worked um, within buying departments and worked my way up um, within different fashion houses. Predominantly, I've worked for high street brands, so I started my career in high street fashion. And then later on, I moved over to designer fashion and worked for Vivian Westwood. So I've seen both sides of the coin, really, in terms of fashion and and really worked my way up within those companies. And just to 
to learn more about sustainability as well and and from being a buyer means that you're responsible for everything that you see in a store so we take everything from sketch to store and uh, we manage the full production process and the supply chain process so particularly in high street um i was witnessing um unethical practices and um firsthand um, and seeing all the things that were going on within the industry yeah, and it seems like you've had a really big breadth of experience in the fashion industry, and I would love for you to share some of the most shocking things you found out about the garments that we wear. I, it's really hard to, when you're talking about uh, past career to try and remain positive on it and, and not doom and gloom all the time. Um, but um, I think particularly uh, I started Fanfare Label because I was really concerned about the social aspect. Um, I then moved to Vivian Westwood and learned more about the environmental aspect and saw how important that was. But that didn't come later until my in my sustainability journey. My first point of call was the social issues. The fact that there isn't any health and safety, um, it's become a race to the bottom on cost, which has mean, meant that there's a lot of corner cutting. And this is where things happen, um, where it comes to uh, child labour, slavery, um, people being overworked and underpaid. And um, I was the one that was on the phone to the suppliers when they're still at work at 3am in the morning. And I'm I'm putting loads of pressure on the, for them to reduce their cost prices, knowing that it's not going to impact me as a brand it's probably not going to impact them as a supplier but actually it's going to impact these workers and the workers pay the price and so time and time again I was just seeing the suppliers and the workers suffering and I was volunteering for various human anti-human trafficking charities outside of work and then I found out that there was slavery within fashion supply chains as well and it was kind of the cherry on top for me that I wanted to do use everything all my skills and experience to bring a positive change to the industry and not contribute to a broken system that no one seems to be looking at and no one seems to be changing so this was around eight years ago and um and yeah i i was just hearing the phrases that's the nature of fashion and that's the nature of buying to justify really bad behavior and i just didn't want to be part of that anymore and um, i think a few of the facts that really shock me on the people side is is just the the fact uh, like one of them is that 300,000 cotton farmers in India alone have committed suicide because of the pressures on the cotton farming there and this is for t-shirts and dresses and things that are a luxury it do, it, it shouldn't be costing people's lives and and that was the reality check for me was that companies aren't even giving their staff masks when they're distressing genes and they're breathing in all of these hazardous chemicals and and if you wanted to learn more about about this aspect I think it's really important it can be doom and gloom but it's the first stage in bringing change to the industry and and edu education is the first step really and and then we can look at the more positive ways that we can bring change to it but we have to face the reality of of what's happening and so if you do want to find out more i would recommend the true cost documentary is is, is a really good resource to to have a look at yes i totally agree that the true cost is an amazing documentary on the fashion industry and if you haven't watched it already i highly encourage you to do so it was actually after watching The True Cost that I really went down the sustainable fashion rabbit hole and I started my company Recloseted, so this all comes full circle. 
And I totally agree with you. It's so heartbreaking to see how garment workers are treated. Like sometimes they're dealing with really harmful pesticides too, or dyes, like for example, with jeans, with the indigo dyes, and they're just not equipped with the right tools. They're also working in an environment that might not be safe. And then to top it all off, they're likely not getting a living wage, if even like a minimum wage. So it's just really heartbreaking across the board. So now with your brand, Fanfare Label, I would love you to share what values your brand stands for and what you do from a social and environmental perspective. So when we first started out, uh, the main pillars were um, that we wanted a business to be connected to various charities. So we do um, work with uh, women empowerment initiatives and social initiatives. So it means that every supplier that we use has a kind of community element as well. So at the moment, we're working with a supplier that uh, works with women in prisons to get them a qualification so that when they are released, they can get work within the fashion industry. Um, we've worked with a similar charity doing the same thing with homelessness and we've worked with anti-human trafficking charities as well to eradicate slavery from fashion supply chains so there's always that charity um, underlying it and and the more we grow as a brand the more we can um, impact our um, our charities because that is a long-term aim is to actually help them um, but then in terms of the actual product, we get everything made locally. Um, so it means that we're able to um, audit our factories and work closely with our uh, the people. We know who's making our clothes. We have relationships with the artisans that work on our clothes as well as the factories. And, and it's a really personal relationship when you buy into our brand. Um, it's a personal approach. We care. Um, and just to make sure that we're just being really considered and being responsible for our actions. So it's impossible to be 100% sustainable, but we consider every aspect and look how we can be as best, best we can. Um, on the environmental side, I couldn't justify starting a sustainable brand without tackling what's actually already been produced because we don't necessarily need any more new um, we're there's so much out there we're in a landfill crisis um, we don't need new and so I was we have a, a fanfare repurpose collection which centers around uh, repurposing repairing and reusing garments that have already been um, made by fashion brands and are going to waste so we focus on just um, prolonging clothing's lifespan and and with that we're able to teach our customers the message of longevity and that uh, no fashion items should be disposable and we should be cherishing pieces and valuing pieces and so by being able to repurpose garments we can get that messaging across and change consumer behavior from this fast fashion approach um, and then stop stop clothing going to landfill which is which is the main uh, aim and and just making sure that we're designing with the end of life in mind so that um, our operations are circular and speaking of circularity i saw on your brand's website that you have a repair program and you also have a take back program which i think is amazing and for some of our smaller clients as well as some of the smaller brands in our recloseted community a lot of them want to do something similar, but they find that the logistics of managing a repair program and or take back program can be a lot. So do you have any advice or tips? 
Yeah, um, so we we focus on fanfare garments. So if we we offer a take back scheme, which means that if someone has purchased something of ours and it does need repairing or, or repurposing or, or anything like that, we can take that back because it's our product, and we don't want to see any fanfare item land, uh, ending up in landfill. Particularly, um, we're growing, we're small, so we're still learning, uh, but uh, we just di deal directly with our customers and um, are able to um, work out how to fix that. Um, we do offer customers the option to upcycle their own pieces within their wardrobe. We, I think the, what my advice would be is start on one product that you're good at, and that's what we do. So we do it on jeans and we do it on jackets because that is what we know how to do and they can customers own jeans that they want upcycling and repairing can go on the already made production line of our ready-made collection if that makes sense so that it's not it's not that we're getting one-off uh, pieces from people here there and everywhere and repairing them they just go on to the same production line and therefore we're able to do that so it's not on every garment we pick uh, the ones that we're making regularly so that we can manage the logistics a bit better of that. Yeah, that makes sense. And then is the goal then to scale up this program or what's the vision there? Yeah, exactly. So so we do it on all pieces that are fanfare related. So anything that's been bought from fanfare, no matter what it is, we offer a take back scheme. Um, other customers items. Yes, we hope to roll that out further. Um, especially uh, there's there's no reason why we can't. But um, at the moment, it's just uh, managing the jeans and denim. Great. And going back to the charities piece, I would love for you to share how you chose the charities you work with, because there are a lot of charities out there, so it can be really overwhelming to choose. And then also there's some charities that don't do the best work in terms of how they manage their operating costs and things like that. So do you have any tips or advice when it comes to choosing charities for your brand to partner with? They were ongoing relationships from before I uh, started um, Fanfare Label. I've always been keen um, in the charity space and, and ensuring that I'm trying to give back as much as I can. So I have actually known them quite a long time, uh, particularly the human traffic, anti-human trafficking ones. So uh, that's come from personal recommendations, which is key, uh, knowing someone that knows them or works for them or has worked with them in the past, I think is really important. Um, also, pick the area that you're really passionate about. Uh, there's so many different sustainability topics, whether that's animal welfare or workers' rights or environmental or climate change or all of these different aspects. But just pick what, what do you care about the most? What I know that we want to change the world and want to do everything, but what is the number one? And I would start with that. So for us, that was slavery. And now that's moved on to environmentalism. And we've started to look at different environmental charities we can work with. And we're starting this process. And um, again, uh, so what I did to narrow down my environmental one is, is just have calls with really detailed calls with all of the charities and, and really, really well research them so that I knew what what the offering was before I was able to to make my decision because there's so many people at the moment offering carbon off offsetting and and various initiatives that it can be a bit overwhelming yeah that's great thanks for sharing 
And what you said makes a lot of sense because it is really overwhelming with all the charities out there. There's carbon offsetting, there's tree planting, there's all sorts of different initiatives that you could be passionate or care about with your brand. And so really pick what your priorities are and what your values really align with and do a lot of research. And switching gears, I did want to talk about COVID because I have seen quite a few small brands shut down and it's been so heartbreaking to see. And so I wanted to ask you how you and your brand dealt with COVID. So, yeah, it's been really difficult. It's been really difficult for us. And I think what's really important, and this is, I need to tell myself this, um, and people tell it to me, is that actually just look at where you've come. The fact that you've come out the other side is a huge achievement and well done because that's, it it may feel that uh, you're not doing as well as you thought or uh, because of COVID it's been brought on various challenges, but uh, I think it's really important. And again, this is for me, my advice to myself, just give yourself a bit of a break with like not many businesses have been able to survive a pandemic and well done is the first step really. And then we, we had quite a few cancelled wholesalers and uh, obviously cash flow was impacted. Our, we had to pivot our business and we just had to carry on. We just had to stay up to date with what was happening and react accordingly. Um, so that was invested in our online shop and uh, become more e-com focused. Um, we what, we also um, applied for lots of different governmental grants to help small businesses. And within the sustainability sector, there is a focus. We've won, since the beginning of the pandemic, we've actually won three awards and grants um, that were COVID um, inspired, but that were awarded for businesses that give back. Um, And so it's really important to be up to date with what's coming out there in terms of competitions, government grants and funding, because they want to give it to businesses that are doing well, a good thing. Um, So that's another thing. Um, And and yeah, just working from home, just trying to (laughs) negotiate that. We've got a studio now, finally, but um, it has been hard um, working from home, but it's it's just have to give yourself a bit of a break sometimes. Yeah, I totally agree with you. You need to be gentle with yourself and give yourself breaks when you need it. When it comes to grants, do you have any tips? Because I know a lot of our clients and members in our community are always looking for grants. And so, yeah, do you have any tips? Because it can be really competitive. I make sure that I'm signed up to the most important newsletters so i mean are you your i'm assuming are you u.s based i'm based in canada but our listeners are everywhere so canada u.s europe what have you yeah so i've got i have um my ones are all uk focused um but the main websites um i just make sure i'm signed up to their newsletter so i'm not going on and searching for the grants but it means as and when one comes in it's in my inbox already and then maybe allocate a day uh, a day a month and just go through those flagged emails and apply for them all at once that's how I tend to manage it so I wouldn't go on the internet and search for for loads of things I would just try and sign up to those newsletters initially and just keep your eye out as of when they come Going back to your previous point about saying well done and giving yourself that pat on the back, it's so true. And I tell my clients this all the time. So it's good that we're on the same wavelength. (laughs) 
And I also agree, like sometimes you do need to hear it from someone else as well. Yeah. And especially like you can be in your own head all of the time that actually you just need to step back and realize how far you've come and it's okay. And yeah, I think it has been really tough, but um, it's really important that we're not beating ourselves up about it. Yeah, totally. And staying positive is so important too. And speaking of challenges, did you encounter any supply chain issues throughout COVID? Because I know a lot of mills and manufacturers shut down and we dealt with a lot of clients that all of a sudden they didn't really have backups, even though I told them to have backups, but they just didn't have backups and they were just scrambling trying to figure it out. So did you deal with something similar or do you know anyone that dealt with something similar and do you have any advice? Uh, yeah, I um, we didn't, but um, that's not to say um, we could have. Um, we keep everything as local as possible. So when things were shutting down, we, because of the localized nature um, nature of our supply chain, we were able to um, we were able to navigate it so much easier. And um, plus, we we at the time that it went into full lockdown we actually didn't need production at that point so we're really looking from that point of view so I would say the first tip is just try and try and keep it lo- as local as possible we've had things like Brexit and all of these issues that by keeping things local it's really benefited us in the in the long run so so yeah I would say localization um of of the supply chain is number one and that's what's really helped us um I try not to sit on huge amounts of stock and we try and do made to order but I would also recommend expanding your supply base and having backup plans where you can so at the moment we only work with a few manufacturers but COVID has really taught us that we need to have a backup of about 10 just to make sure um so that if one can't fulfill our orders then then we're looking at um working with another corporation and if you do the cost cross costing and everything in advance it will save you time in the long run um but it it can be can be a lot of work to to do that and start that outreach (laughs) yeah totally And speaking of made-to-order, I know you're not 100% made-to-order as you have low quantities that you keep, but we do have a few clients and members in our community that are thinking of moving towards made-to-order because they're nervous having a bunch of quantity, especially when consumer and customer demand is kind of all over the place right now with COVID. Do you have any tips on how to work with lower inventory or a made-to-order model just because, first of all, You need to have a really tight production timeline so that when someone orders something to when they actually receive it, it's not too long. And then secondly, your production costs also go up because you're buying lower quantities of materials and then your production is a little bit more spontaneous as well. So how do you manage it? Yeah, um, I would say that um, keeping styles quite similar has helped us um, so manage smaller quantities so that um each top or each jumper would look differently but it'd be a similar shape so it can be combined in one production line and so if it's a different material or a different fabric I would just try and kind of group things together so our jeans yes they're all different but they can all be made at the same time really because they're, they're kind of a bit similar so um just being clever in the design process on how you can group items together, I would say, um, in terms of fabric and material. Um, 
I it is more expensive to produce smaller, um, but I prefer it because then I'm not sitting on huge amounts of stock that have cost me a lot in terms of cash flow. So um, I've just ensured that I can I've found a supplier that can do a two week turnaround, which is pretty quick um, and it's taken a long time. But I would just say trying to find that supplier um, that can be a little bit more flexible. Um, it, it, yes, it, the cost the cost obviously uh, that's never going to change and our prices reflect the fact that we're made in the UK um it, it is just one of those things but I, I am finding that because our customers are really understanding that, that the fact that this is this is slow fashion you are you're coming on the journey with us we're not just churning out product with no thought of thought um behind it but actually we're really we've got a really considered approach and and everything is really mindful and and also it allows us to do a bit of co-creation with our customers because because we're doing design toward uh, made to order and we're doing um sending you jeans for upcycling it allows the customers to have some kind of design say and in, in something and the the customers love um being able to have their feedback on on their piece and i think it it's um, really good for building relationships. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. And to top it all off, it also likely helps that you're local with your production as well, because I can't imagine you could do a two-week turnaround if your production wasn't local. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I also think you do a great job putting your brand out there and increasing your brand awareness. For example, you've gotten a lot of press. You've been in Vogue, you've been in BBC, Forbes, just to name a few. So do you have any tips on how to increase your brand awareness from scratch and get your brand out there? Because I know a lot of brands starting out struggle with this. Mine all started with awards and this comes down to the grants as well. So all the the major awards organizations or bodies just make sure you signed up to their newsletter so you know that when the awards are coming out again to apply for you get it in your inbox and you can apply for those awards so that was the first step really getting us known um for what we're doing within this space and for multiple awards someone also gave me the advice of um having um your a a, a list of about 20 key contacts within media that you reach out to every couple of weeks with a different angle. And I think that that helps because um, they don't want to hear the same story all the time and, and just keeping up to date with what's happening within the sustainable, sustainable fashion space um, will really help um, you be able to pitch to press. So uh, what after uh, we've had a, a COP26 or or something happened within the circularity space, it's then good to to reach out to to those press about that and how your brand relates to that topic. So it can be really overwhelming. So that's why a, a good key list of 20 um, is good and it breaks it out. And then you can save your wider press reach out for maybe once a month or once every two months where you've got um, a whole list and create a Google Drive with all your documents so it's all there so your press release your lookbook your founders profile um, and so it's all in one place and so that you can and your images and direct the press to there it's really helpful. Yeah I love that and it is a lot of work but you just really need to put in that time and put your brand out there. Yeah. 
Do you have any tips on how you manage your time? Because it is a lot of work having to email and list people on top of everything else you do. I'm the worst person at giving advice on time management. I am appalling. Um, I'm still trying uh, to find, I, I have about 10 different to-do lists on the on the go at the same time and you're when you're a founder you have to do everything and it's and it's it's been one of the hardest things for me is prioritizing because everything is urgent and everything needs to be done and so I think what's been good is splitting your days Um, I've split my days so on a Friday my my Fridays are for admin so emails um anything finance accounting that I need to do Mondays are my marketing day because you have to plan your social for the week and then um and then yeah so you split your days accordingly and also maybe having an hour from like four till five p.m where you do emails every day or um just splitting it up that way and and be really regimented with it and I found works but I'm, I'm really bad at, at the time management thing. No, I think you're completely on the right track. I actually have dedicated days to do things in our business as well. And I always tell our clients to do that too, because if you don't do that and you're doing a bunch of different tasks, you always have to switch that part in your brain and it becomes really inefficient. Yeah. And I was going to ask this later, but it kind of makes sense to ask right now based on what we're talking about. But do you have a morning routine or an evening routine that really helps you? Again, no. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, it's, it's so hard uh, to get a work-life balance at the moment. And it's, it's like priority number one is that I need to start introducing getting my life back a bit and, um, and not just brushing my hair in the morning would be great <laughs> but just to be totally transparent but um no I I obviously um do I I've, I've become more strict at a work-life balance so I know I've got an end time to my day and I switch off at that time no matter what um I've got a little dog so make sure that I, she's in my routine of getting me out and doing some exercise and walking I'd love to say that I'm really great at um, my personal like work-life balance of gym and then this and then that but it's it is a bit chaotic still and, and that's the nature of being a founder is that everything is different uh, but I just I think I'm being really strict with clock in and clock out times and um, has really helped me and I'm still in the process of trying to improve further. Yeah, thanks for being transparent with us because I do agree with you. There's times where I do my morning routine and my evening routine and I feel great. But right now we're in a season of such busyness right now. And obviously I'm grateful that we're busy, but it's it's been a lot and it's been a lot to try and balance. So in those times, it's really just about implementing little bits of self-care where you can, like a three-minute meditation or just sleeping enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One question I wanted to get your thoughts on was the fact that a lot of our clients and also members of our community feel icky or they feel guilty about scaling their brand because that often means they're also scaling and increasing their impact on the environment. And I was wondering if you ever deal with this mentality or thinking this way and if so, how you deal with it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been around this kind of mentality for um, a number of years now, because that was Vivian Westwood's mentality. 
obviously she's a lot bigger than how we operate now. There's also a really good resource called the Earth Project, I think, that talks about this idea of not growing and staying the same. And um, it is really interesting. So we, I, this concept isn't new to me and I've definitely considered it. Um, and I agree with it. I do. We, the brand, the world doesn't need more brands producing more stuff. Um, and, and that is the reality. My, my opinion on it is that what we do as a brand is, is really good compared to other options available. So I want to try and offer that alternative to people because in my opinion, the brands that are available at the moment, the big brands have had their chance and they've proved that they're not concerned with any of these things. And although they're saying that they're changing now, they're only changing now because that's what the customers want. And they've proved that they don't care about people or the environment in their operations. So in order to make them irrelevant, which again, it's another conversation of whether that's even possible, it's important for good brands doing good things to grow um, and offer that alternative and but still be really mindful of the impact that we're having as a brand which is why we have uh, our biggest collections focused on repurposing um, but I think it's I think a balance of the two I think being really aware of that um, but also being passionate to try and change the industry but the reality is we're probably we are going to have to grow. Yeah, I totally share your sentiments because I always tell our clients that people are going to continue to need clothes and they're going to continue to buy clothes. And so they need to have more conscious, more ethical and more sustainable options. And as a genuinely conscious and ethical and sustainable brand, you deserve to have the capital and the cash and the reach you need to succeed because, you know, if you don't, then the big brands are just going to continue to do what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. And speaking about sustainability, there has been a lot of innovation and a lot of new trends in this space. Personally, I'm really excited about the new materials coming onto the scene made out of fruits and vegetables and also post-consumer waste. And yeah, I'm just wondering what you're excited about when it comes to innovation. On the material uh, route as well is uh, the recycling element <laughs> from the, that's related to our, our brand and the idea of using post-consumer waste and spinning it into a new fiber, I think is really interesting. And we're looking into it at the moment of the brand so that we can create collections entirely from waste um, and the innovative materials that have been broken down and respun, um, but still using waste is, is really exciting. Um, so, so there's a lot of recycling going on um, at a lot of different plantations in Hong Kong, being able to spin new garments out of old garments. And um, yeah, so it's really exciting. Um, very new, very early stages, but we're keeping our eye on it, definitely. Yeah, totally. Those are some really exciting innovations. And when it comes to reporting and analyzing your environmental impact, do you have any technologies you're really excited about or anything you use internally? Yeah, I mean, that there, there is definitely technologies that you can use um, to help you. Um, there's a lot of different um, tech plugins and, and different um, organizations uh, 
offering this service. Personally, for us, we, we haven't been able to afford that, really. Um, it, it is very expensive. But now that we've been trading a bit of time, we can uh, look to allocate some budget in that area. So our reporting is all internal at the moment. Um, and as I mentioned, we hope to really invest in this going forward. Um, the way that we've managed to do it is split up our activities into three categories of environmental impact, social impact, and um, and uh, uh, mindset change, because we're not just about creating for products, we also want to challenge the fast fashion mindset and encourage and inspire sustainable shopping. So we break down everything that we do and we calculate um, based on the amount of garments we've produced, and made the amount of material that we've bought we calculate our savings from there so um every pair of jeans we from our research we know um every pair of jeans saves 9500 liters of water it allows the one day one um one and a half days of skilled labor at fair wages and in fair environment um it also um, saves 34 kilograms of CO2 and one kilo of waste going to landfill. So if we know what that is for one gene, we can then work out how many genes were produced, how many genes were sold and work out our impact from there. And then we do the same with materials. So organic cotton, we compare it to normal cotton. So the water saving in organic cotton to normal cotton, the labour um, the, that we know that there's been no um, uh, forced labour or, or horrible uh, anything yeah <laughs> you know what I mean can't get my words out um, and then compare those two and then we can analyse that based on the amount of organic cotton we've, we've bought and and so you you just need to break down each um, each area of the product. Amazing that's super helpful and as we're wrapping up here do you have any other words of advice that you want to share to fellow slow fashion founders? I mean, I think we've covered quite a lot, actually. <laughs> I would say, um, yeah, just from a, a mental um, health perspective and, and what we said is just, just don't be too hard on yourself. You can't do everything. It's actually not possible. And I've been through that process of comparing myself and, and looking at other founders and thinking, I'm not doing that or they've achieved more than me. And it's just really important to try and stay out of that cycle and just really focus on what you have done well um, and that you can't do everything and to give yourself a bit of a break and to take it easy we can't um yeah and and yeah it's easier said than done though but I would just just be mindful of uh, just um celebrating the little wins yes I always tell our clients and our community to celebrate their wins because it is so important and I also had a fun question for you but do you have any favorite podcasts or books I think that there's there's a lot of really good founder um, podcasts that I listen to, and um, that are really focused on learning um, a bit a bit like this one and learning about the entrepreneur's journey. Um, but for big brands, and there's a lot of learning in that, and also realizing that people make so many mistakes, and that 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 is normal. So I find that really helpful from that point of view. Um, and then um, in terms of like magazines and books, there's uh, the Earth Project, which we really like. We've just done a, an editorial with them and they're really insightful. Everything that the Fashion Revolution 
publishers and the fashion roundtable we're big fans of because we we really follow what they do from an educational perspective and um and and yeah it helps us stay up to date with what's happening in the fashion industry amazing and then my last question for you is how can everyone stay in touch with you and support you what are your links yeah, um, so please follow us. It's at Fanfare Label and our website is fanfarelabel.com. Great. Well, thanks so much, Esther, for coming on to Recloseted Radio. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. And that was today's episode. If you enjoyed it and you took a lot out of it, it would be greatly appreciated if you could take a screenshot share it to your Instagram stories, and tag us at Recloseted. Additionally, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe because new episodes will be automatically downloaded. And it also helps us as well to continue to provide this podcast for free to you and continue to share all of these valuable resources. If you haven't already, also make sure you rate Recloseted 5 stars if you think we deserve it and write a positive review. That really helps us as well. And we will see you again next week. And in the meantime, together, let's write the harmful fashion industry.